When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Well, it's a cloudy morning this morning. I don't know what it was like last night, particularly over Donegal. And did they manage to get another display of the Northern Lights? Because all of the papers today have the most gorgeous colour photographs, stunning pictures of the Aurora Borealis. And it does seem to be that Donegal and the north of the country seem to have been the best place to have seen this spectacular display that was put on by the Northern Lights. Gorgeous pictures out over Aranmore Island making a lot of the papers uh, today and the spectacular sight of course the Northern Lights usually only visible across the North and the South Pole and of course anywhere around the Arctic Circle and people travel and go on holidays and uh, to view the Northern Lights and lots of people put it on their bucket list as something to do in their lifetime but lo and behold here it was a little bit closer to home and the reason that seems that we've been having this display of the Northern Lights over the North and the West of the country it's a result of collisions between gas particles in our atmosphere and particles that are then ejected from the sun's atmosphere. Met Aaron explained oxygen molecules at approximately 100 kilometres above the Earth produce a greenish-yellow colour while a red aura can be seen when high levels of oxygen molecules are involved. Blue and purple auras indicate the presence of nitrogen molecules and the array of colours in all of the photographs really, really are uh, stunning. And as I say, Sunday night seemed to have been the best. They were expecting that there would be a display again last night, but we won't know until, I suppose, tomorrow or maybe if you're on social media this morning, because certainly uh, I was watching yesterday on social media and lots of people had got out and about taking uh, photographs and were putting it up on uh, line and I know I heard David Moore of Astronomy Ireland you know he, he was saying that uh, it happens all the time in the polar regions almost every night they'll get a display of the northern lights but it's only about 1% of the time it happens here but it does happen here but quite a spectacular uh, display as I say if you're buying a paper today you certainly will come across some gorgeous colour photographs of the northern lights yeah, and can I say well done to Councillor Bernard Moynihan. I heard Barry on the news uh, mention him and actually play out a clip that ran on this programme a couple of weeks ago and Bernard Moynihan promised when he was in with us a couple of weeks ago that he was going to bring a motion to the Cork County Council looking to write to the Cork County Board of the GAA asking for at least one 
cash entrance to be maintained at all GAA games. And I see the front page of the Echo picking up on this story this morning with Bernard Moynihan quoting as we need to stand up for the older generation. So he brought his motion yesterday and it received unanimous support. It was at a full council meeting yesterday and it seems there was a pleasure of councillors yesterday saying that the current online ticketing system is deterring people in Cork, particularly the older generation, from attending uh, GAA games due to either not having good internet wherever they live or maybe they're just not technically savvy and they don't know how to go online and buy a ticket. Uh, Bernard Moynihan, who explained when he spoke um, to us, said he'd been speaking with many listeners. uh, He'd been speaking with many GAA supporters. And, you know, he was making the point that the banks... They tried to go cashless last year, but People Power won in that particular time and they were forced to change uh, their mind. He says that the GAA needs to do the same thing. There's a lot of people living in rural Ireland who can't get access to the internet, who don't have phones, they don't have internet. They don't have computers. They're not able to book tickets. Uh, Bernard said he knows of people who have said they simply won't be going to matches anymore because they don't want to be embarrassed at the gate when they turn up to say, sorry, I don't have a card and there's no cash and they can't buy their uh, tickets. He says, we are not against change, but there should be a combination of cashless, card and online system. And of course, as we know, Age Action uh, came out and said that it is uh, it's against older people to introduce this. It is a practice that is is ageist age action feel. And he says, you know, people look forward to going to games. It's a huge part of their social lives and it's been a huge part of their social lives for many, many years. And obviously getting out and about and meeting up with your friends at a local GAA match. It's good for your mental health uh, as well. Bernard says, I think the GAA have gone a step too far with this one. And he pointed out at the council meeting yesterday that the taxpayer has put a huge amount of money into Porky Queef. He said, surely we can allow our patrons to be allowed into Porky Rin and Porky Queef by using a card or having the other option. If they want to pay with hard cash, they should be allowed to do that. Now, we do know, of course, tickets are available for some games. You can get them in local supermarkets and at retail outlets but it's the cash sales that are not available and in place at the games and I know when Bernard joined us a couple of weeks ago and we were discussing it some people were saying you know you might you know when it's pointed out well you could go to the local retail shop during the week and pick up a ticket what happens if on the day you just decide I'd just like to go to I'd like to go to the match in the shop you know you can't go and get a ticket at the shop in, in olden times not so not so olden times up until late you could have just simply turned up at the turnstile last minute and paid your cash you can't do that anymore anyway this motion that Bernard bought yesterday uh, will also state that the GAA headquarters in Croke Park should be written to it was seconded by the Mayor of Cork County that's Danny Collins who he felt it was degrading for people to have to ask somebody else to help them in order to access a ticket online. And Danny Collins, in, who is of course a publican in West Cork, he says he's had customers who have come to Danny and said could you help me out, could you book tickets for me? And he feels it's degrading for them that they even have to do that. He said why can't they just turn up at the gate and pay on the day as we've always been able to do. And the Fianna Fáil councillor Joe Carroll he said that the GAA is supposed to be about communities, 
it's supposed to be about people. And he also says that he knows a lot of people who spend all of their lives supporting the GAA but won't be going to matches anymore because of this. So it'll be interesting to see uh, will the powers that be at the GAA, will they listen to what's been said on the ground? And you know, councillors are great in that they get to hear what people are saying on the ground, maybe even more so than what the GAA themselves uh, are hearing because if people are not turning up then the GAA may not be aware of why people are not uh, turning up but it just it really saddens me if there are a cohort of people who sort of used to live and die by going to the GA matches and suddenly find themselves in a position that they're too embarrassed to say that they don't have a card too embarrassed to say that they're not able to book a ticket online and won't ask anyone for help and there are a lot of older people who like their independence and don't like to ask for help they like to be able to do everything themselves and that's fine and that should be encouraged as well so let's wait and see what happens because Bernard Moynihan is right the banks it was AIB wanted to go cash just remember that and there was a huge foray about that but they listened to the people they absolutely listened to, uh, to the people and when they came back and changed their minds on it they said the reason that they changed their minds was because they listened to what people had to say so only time will tell will the GAA also follow suit Jim listening to me on the motion that has got unanimous support at the full meeting of Cork County Council uh, yesterday writing to the GAA to say they need to reconsider their decision and at least have one cash entrance and have it maintained at all GAA matches. Jim says, well done to uh, Councillor Bernard Moynihan for bringing up this uh, motion. Uh, Jim says, it was brought in during COVID times when there was to be no handling of money and there was a lot of things introduced in COVID times trying to protect everybody and keep everybody safe and that was one of the things was that people were to use cards, try not to use uh, cash. So Jim reckons it was introduced because of that during COVID times but he said now it makes absolutely no sense that they're no longer allowing uh, one at least one cash outlet at all GAA uh, games but what Jim says he finds most confusing is so you book your ticket online and then you go through the turnstiles and in you go and when you go inside to buy, buy your programme guess what you buy your programme with cash. So they are still dealing with cash. They just won't take cash when you go through the turnstiles, which has kind of got Jim a little bit head scratching, which is true. And I don't know for sure, was it introduced? Are you right in that, Jim, that it was introduced during uh, COVID uh, times? Maybe it was because I know certainly during COVID times we were there was all this push towards uh, tapping with your with your card so that you know because people were so afraid that they you know if they, if somebody coughed or sneezed and was handing in money would the the virus be all over money and we were putting uh, people who worked in retail or you know were they at more of a risk when dealing with the general public so I know a lot of businesses were encouraging people to use cards instead and actually funny with that, when you mentioned COVID Jim it's actually three years tomorrow would you believe since the first case of COVID in this country. We had started talking about this virus three years ago, at the, certainly at the start of the year in January. I remember there was rumblings coming out from uh, China that there was some kind of a virus uh, over in China. And of course, at that stage, we kind of, in our innocence, I, I think, thought that we would probably stay in China and they'll get a handle of it. And then, you know, we knew the places were going into lockdown or, or they would contain it. But little did we know within literally a matter of uh, weeks that it would have moved so quickly across the world, not just across Europe, but across the entire world. But it is tomorrow, which is the 1st of March, three years ago, that it was the first actual case uh, confirmed here in Ireland. 0818 103 103. 
John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Now, according to Dogs Trust Ireland, there has been an increase in the number of dogs surrendered by people living in rented accommodation who say their landlords won't allow them to keep pets. To discuss the issue further, I'm joined by Kira Byrne of Dogs Trust Ireland. Good morning, Shakira. Hi, good morning. And Thanks for having me. Well, you're very welcome to the programme. Has this always been a problem for dog owners when they're trying to find a home to rent? Um, unfortunately, it has. Um, it's always been an, an issue with people looking for a, a new home with their with their dog. Um, but particularly in the last couple of years, we have seen a big spike in those numbers. Um, but it has always, unfortunately, been been quite high. So there, yeah. So there, there's an increase because there's so little properties. Yeah, the supply and demand problem at the moment, and and you know with the the rental crisis um, at the moment across the country. I mean, people even without dogs are finding it difficult to yeah. get accommodation. So you can only imagine if you have that extra, you know, extra little little uh, thing with you. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be even that that little bit more difficult. Is it heartbreaking for owners who feel forced to surrender their dog due to a, the accommodation crisis? Um, it, it's absolutely heartbreaking, you know, um, it, it, and it, it's for a number of different reasons. And there's people looking for properties at the moment um, that have been looking for months and months and they're put into a position where they're faced with even either giving up their dog or facing homelessness. It's absolutely the, the one of the saddest things that we we come across um, in our in our line of work. And Kira, am I right in saying a properly trained dog will not do any damage to a house? Because I'm assuming that's the landlord's concern. Well, it's all about responsible dog ownership, you know, um, it, it, like if you have a dog that's well behaved, I mean, there there shouldn't be any reason like like with anything that you can't keep your property absolutely, you know, in, in, in perfect condition. Um, and it's about uh, the owners taking responsibility for their dogs and making sure that their dogs aren't doing anything that they shouldn't be doing or. Um, you know, uh, unwanted behaviour and things like that, and and looking into to getting getting help and seeking help if if they find themselves in a situation where there are things that their dog is doing that they, that they don't want to manage. There's training classes. You know, we have dog school classes as well in Dogs Trust, um, and you know. It, there, there's lots of things that, that people can do. Um, we've also set up guidelines on our website for people who are looking for accommodation with their dog on little tips that they can use, um, you know, especially if they're looking for a home, um, th- those first steps. Such as? So there's things like don't leaving, not leaving your search till the last minute and being as flexible as possible. So maybe not narrowing down your search, maybe looking at a wider location. Um, 
even writing a CV for your dog. So <laughs> things like, yeah, t- t- telling the landlord about your dog. Has he lived somewhere else? Getting references from yeah. a past landlord. Um, all of those things can be really helpful to put a landlord's mind at rest. Um, you know, when they're faced with, you know, a tenant who says, I have a dog, but they don't know anything about the dog. They don't know if it's a big dog, a small dog, a, tra- a well-trained dog, a dog who's quite happily lived in a house before with absolutely no issues. So, um, you know, there's all dogs, as you know, come in so many different shapes, sizes and personalities that um, you don't want, you know, landlords just to rule everyone with the dog out. It's more about opening that discussion um, and, you know, making landlords less afraid of the unknown, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I suppose don't lie about the fact that you have a dog, uh, Kira, because if you get caught out, you could then end up in almost an eviction situation. Yeah, we would always say that just to be really open and upfront up about um, having a dog in your property, um, especially obviously if it's if it's a, a property that you're renting. Um, it's always better to not to you know be open upfront, not put yourself in a position where you could potentially get evicted because you've broken a, a clause in a contract. Could an owner offer a pet deposit, Kira, to ensure that no damage is done, like an, like an additional deposit? Yeah, well, we we always say that's a really, um, you know, it really is something that people can look at at offering a landlord to cover any costs of any potential damage that would be caused by a pet. There's lots of things as well that you can do um, also as a landlord, like looking into insurance, because some insurance actually covers accidental pet damage. Um, Some cover it as standard, others may require a small additional fee. So it's worth phoning around and seeing what what your insurance company offers. Um, But definitely hire a deposit, even offer to have the place professionally cleaned for peace of mind once you leave, if you ever, you know, plan to leave. Mm. Um, Oh, sorry, I was going to say as well, like um, something for landlords to bear in mind is that usually uh, people with dogs are more likely to be more responsible because they have you know this being to look after um, and they're always really really grateful to have gotten a property with their dog that they're going to be twice as diligent to make sure that they can keep it and look after That's it. a really good point they can, they'll make excellent tenants because they'll want to make sure that they hang on to the property that's a, a really good point um, uh, Kira. and of course I've spoken which are good selves at Dogs Trust uh, before, particularly about people surrendering dogs following the pandemic. And I just actually mentioned that tomorrow is the third anniversary of the first case, COVID case uh, in this country. And of course, that led to a lot of people deciding, oh, we'll take on a, a puppy because we're going to be at home. We've always wanted a dog. But of course, then we know what happened at the end when people went back to work. Are you still seeing some of those dogs being surrendered, Kira? Yeah, I mean, the, there's, I mean, there's a lot of crisis in the country, and a dog crisis is definitely one of them. Uh, we are seeing a huge, huge spike in the number of dogs being surrendered for all different reasons, not just accommodation. Um, it's across the board. Every charity, every rescue centre is, you know, at the at the brim, um, and um, it's really, really unsettling. It's really sad um, that dogs are left in this situation. And um, we ran numerous campaigns. A dog is for life, not just for lockdown. Was one was one big one that we that we ran because we really just wanted to highlight how big of an issue that 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 problem is at the moment in the country. Yeah, because you 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 guys foresaw what was going to happen. You you had a gut in, gut feeling that it was go, this was going to happen. The cost of living uh, crisis, Kira. I'm assuming that's causing problems for pet owners. You know, with the the pet food, vet bills, etc. 
Yeah, I mean, everything's going up, as we all know. Uh, as you said, vet bills, pet food, everything um, is going up for everyone. And then obviously, if people have less disposable income, um, they have to really prioritise um, wh- what they're going to be spending that on. So I, I would imagine that it is having you know, a big knock-on effect for, for people right across the board. But at least people are contacting people like yourselves, the dogs uh, trust when, for whatever reason, they're not able to look after their dog. Have we moved away from the era where people just used to take the dog for a drive and dump them many miles away? I really, I really hope we're moving in that direction. Um, sadly, we still do see people abandoning their dogs. And oh. It's absolutely horrible to see. It's, it's, yeah, it's one of the worst parts of the job, um, seeing cases like that. Unfortunately, it does still happen. Um, but we really, really, like, really advise people, ring anyone, your local charity, your local rescue centre, your local pound, ring anyone who has you know, the capacity to even just direct you and the point point you in the right direction for help. Um, you know, I know a lot of places are full, but really like leaving your dog at the side of the road is not, you know, it's just, it's the, it really is not the thing to do. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of rescue centres out there, not just ourselves. Um, and we do operate all across Ireland as well. Um, you know, we're, we're, we, we've big, a big rescue and, um, rehoming team in Munster, the Munster region mm. all over Ireland so we really would advise people to get in contact with us or any of your local rescue centres and just ask for advice you know it might not it, it, you know it's not always a case where you need to surrender your dog there might be other things that you could do um, that you haven't thought of or you know that we can help with. Yeah there can be other solutions because it is beyond beyond cruel uh, to just dump a dog and of course the poor dog has no understanding of why it's suddenly been uh, dumped it just it, the mind boggles uh, it really does and rehoming Kira, are you still doing well with rehoming from Dogs Trust? We are. I mean, we, we, we are still rehoming lots of dogs. Um, again, we are absolutely at capacity. Um, we're really, you know, struggling to take in more dogs. The dogs that we have, sadly, are in such need a lot of the time of rehabilitation and, you know, behaviour issues. And particularly as a result of coming out of COVID and this, you know, change that dogs went through where, you know, all of a sudden they were in this, you know, perfect world where families are at ho- home all day and, then all of a sudden the world completely changed for all of us and dogs really didn't know how to cope with this. Um, So we are finding a lot more cases now where dogs are really struggling um, to to adjust to a, a different life now. And, you know, that that means that we're having dogs staying longer potentially with us because, um, you know, it's harder to find those special homes for them. Okay. All right. We leave it there, uh, Kira. As always, uh, thank you and continue good luck to the great work you do at uh, Dogs Trust. But thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Kira Byrne of uh, Dogs Trust. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can uh, WhatsApp to 086 103 103. And a bit of a bizarre stories just come in to John Paul from uh, Jim to say his daughter was parked at a local super value and went in to do her shopping. She was in the store for about 25 minutes but when she came back out lo and behold her car had been clamped. Now she called the clamping company there was obviously a telephone number uh, on it and she paid over the phone the amount to I don't know how much it was to get the car de-clamped but then when she went back into the store and said it to the 
store manager, I, you know, didn't know you had clamping in operation and I was after doing my shopping. The manager says, we don't have a clamping company operating on our car park. Um, they, they went out to investigate. The Gardaí were called. It, it now seems that the clamp that was used on the car was not the correct clamp that officialers, that official clampers use. The Gardaí are investigating. Jim's daughter is trying to get her money back from this so-called clamping company. But Jim contacted us just to give a word of warning to people if your car has been clamped, don't pay it straight away. And your your reaction is to pay it straight away and just get the clamp taken off your car so that you can go home. Jim is saying, as if, see if Jim's daughter had gone into the shop straight away to say, why is my car being clamped? They could have got to the bottom of it immediately. It, I mean, is it some kind of a scam? Is this because it's it? If it's on a super value car park, that would be a privately owned car park. I'm assuming by the owners of the uh, super value. So some company has taken it upon themselves. To me, it's it's a scam. Uh, we'll see if we can find out any more about that. But the Guardian are investigating at the moment. But thanks to Jim for just giving it out as a word of warning to people to be careful. If your car is clamped, make sure that it was clamped officially and that there was a genuine reason why your car was uh, clamped. And uh, keep us updated, Jim, as well, on how your daughter gets on uh, with that particular issue. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, optometrists are this week warning that the waiting list for eye care treatment remains unacceptably high and they say they have available capacity to get more patients seen and seen sooner. Joining me with further details is the newly elected President of Optometry Ireland and that is Tanya Constable. Good morning to you, Tanya. Good morning, Patricia. Thank you for having us. Well, you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose talk to me first about the current waiting list for eye care and how long have some people been on that waiting list? Um, so of the total of 42,300, um, more than 33,000 are waiting on outpatient waiting lists. And of those, 12,000 have been waiting more than a year. And the longer someone waits to be seen, Tanya, just I, I'm assuming, does that have a negative effect on their long term eye health? Absolutely, it definitely does. And it also affects their quality of life. If you think about an elderly person who may have a cataract and then it affects their quality of life because they may not be able to drive um, or mightn't feel as confident walking around locally. Um, So it affects their quality of life as well as impacting on the long term eye health as well. I wasn't aware of this until I saw, I think it was a press release from from your good selves uh, yesterday. And I think people will be surprised to, to hear this. There's no national eye care scheme for children in this country. Mm, absolutely. And you would assume there is. So you are not alone in that respect at all. And there is great work that has been that has been done in certain parts of the country, but there's absolutely no national programme. So whilst children might have access to a brilliant scheme or programme in one area of the country, you might be in another area and have absolutely nothing. Um, so it leads to quite an unfair um, postcode lottery, really, almost. We're back again to this postcode lottery when mm, it comes uh, uh, to care. OK, talk to me about yeah. your members, how many members you have, mm. and what, as a profession, you can offer to the HSE and to the Department of Health. 
Um, so we have over 300 practices across the country with 700 optometrists. So this is, would align with Slauncher Care being, you know, an easy, accessible workforce that patients are really familiar with. Um, you know, we're 50% less expensive than um, like a hospital clinic or community um, eye clinic. So there's certainly a role for optometrists to play in terms of monitoring eye conditions. Um, that can be done in the community and certainly even if you look at the Sligo scheme what was done with post-operative cataract care and the impact that it had on their waiting list um, and certainly in children there's a huge scope for the overrates to be monitored by optometrists because most of these children just need to be seen on a regular basis for a glasses check which can be easily done by local optometrists. I, I, I'm sure it was your own organisation I spoke with before about that mm. cataract scheme that's running in Sligo. Just remind mm. listeners, it, it operates with the local hospital in Sligo, doesn't it? And the local optometrists in the area. Absolutely, it does. And they've got um, an IT platform that they're redesigning at the moment, which allows information to be shared between the local practice, local optometrists and the hospitals. So it means that they've massively reduced their waiting time for um, cataract surgery, which is ultimately what we all want to get patients in as quickly as we can so they can get treated. And was that rolled out as a pilot project or was that just something that was decided to be done locally between um, the hospital and the optometrists? I think there was an element of it was done at a local level um, and a lot of the children's eye care schemes that have been done are also being done on a local level and this is what our organisation has been saying is that the issue is that a lot of these really good programmes are being done on a local level but what we really need is a national programme for the overrates and also for things like um, cataract, post-op cataract. So we really need to have a national programme that's resourced that optometrists can participate in so that we can help to reduce the pressure on the health service and reduce waiting lists. And, you know, I think some people would be taken back to hear, you know, there's there's a scheme that has worked so successfully, as you say, in Sligo. Mm -hmm. So the model is Mm -hmm. there. You don't have to reinvent the Mm -hmm. wheel. You could just roll Mm -hmm. that out nationwide. Exactly. And if you have a look at the children's eye care, there's a scheme that's been running in North Dublin for the last in excess of five years. And now the service in North Dublin has no waiting list at all. Um, for children. So this just goes to demonstrate that the scheme does work. So if we could get this rolled out on a national level, it would benefit all the children in Ireland, not just certain areas. Can you understand, Tanya, why so many people here in uh, Cork are heading off on a bus which takes people to Belfast Mm -hmm. for overnight cataract surgery? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so frustrating that patients effectively have to travel that distance to get care when we could use a scheme that's been proven to work in another part of the country. And you've raised, your organisation, Tanya, has raised this issue before with the Department of Mm -hmm. Health and and the HSC. Mm -hmm. Have you had any kind of a positive response up to this? Unfortunately, we haven't had much of an engagement um, with um, the parties involved. Unfortunately, we have regularly put our case forward you know, shown the schemes and the programs that have been used in certain parts of the country, advocated for it to be rolled out on a national basis. But we have had very little um, in the way of engagement. Seems crazy. It really seems, mm. you know, it's because this seems such a simple enough uh, solution. Yeah. It wouldn't cost, Absolutely. if and anything, I, it know, would like save said, money. It would ultimately, like I said, it's 50% cheaper to see your local optometrist. 
And especially when it comes to pediatric or, you know, children's eye care, it's an easy one that would save money, reduce waiting lists, improve outcomes for patients. And with 700 practitioners, they're all over the country. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this is why we can see patients within days. And this also tends to align, like I said, with the Strontia Care principles of the right care in the right place at the right time. So you're not having to travel up north to get your cataract off done or or parents having to fund their own child's own eye test. I mean, I, you know, it's not a huge amount of money, but not everybody has, it, mm. especially with the cost of living crisis at the moment. So, you know, it's something that we would be looking for to be better resourced than it is at the moment. OK, we'll leave it there. No doubt it's an issue we will return to again, uh, Tanya. But in the meantime, thank you uh, for that. And uh, congratulations you, on being elected as uh, president of Optometry Ireland. Great. Thanks thank for joining us. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Tanya uh, Constable. And actually, Talking about having to travel to Belfast, that is an issue we are going to be dealing with in in the next hour on the programme because we're going to be catching up with a listener who spoke with me on the programme. I think it was earlier on uh, this month, uh, Eileen, and just during the course of a conversation, I discovered that she had a um, severe cataract that needed to be sorted out, but she was also blind in uh, one eye. And she was really in a desperate situation. And she actually went on that, the, the Belfast or Blind bus that is organised by uh, Deputy Michael Collins out of West Cork. Now, it's not just it initially started for people out of West Cork, but there's a lot of people from the city also and other parts of the country jump on that bus and head to uh, Belfast. And they were back up there last weekend yet again with them. Um, uh, another uh, bus full. So we'll be chatting about that in more detail. And thanks to Jim, who is uh, picking up on the uh, the other Jim who contacted us about this really bizarre thing that happened to the other Jim's daughter who parked in a super value car park in there for about 25 minutes, came out to discover her car was clamped. There was a phone number on the clamp for the clamping company in order to ring to get the clamp taken off. The daughter did, paid the money, clamp was taken off and then it was after the clamp was taken off she went back into the store to talk to the management about saying didn't realise that clamping was going on in your car park and they said we don't have clamping in our car park. Now the guard that you're involved it's obviously uh, Jim is another Jim is on saying that definitely sounds like a scam and this Jim is making the point that if you park anywhere where there is clamping in operation there'll always be signs up they'll never just clamp a car without there being very clear signs up. Now sometimes people don't see the signs and it's only when the clamping company comes back they'll be able to point out there is a sign over there and if you look behind you there's a sign over there so that's a good point you'll never get clamped in a car park unless there's very clear signs up to say clamping is in operation but in this young woman's uh, defence I think she came out after doing her shopping and got such a fright to see her car clamped on a car park she uses regularly I think it just threw her completely and all she wanted to do was get her bit of shopping into the car and get home with it so she just rang the company and uh, paid for it but it seems even the the type of clamp that was used uh, that was wrong but obviously I mean I'm glad to see that the guard that you're investigating there is a phone number because she has the phone number that she contacted and she obviously paid by card over the phone so surely they're going to be the Gardaí are going to be able to uh, check it out I mean Jim only contacted us because he wanted to warn other people for fear that others get caught and that if your car is clamped make sure that the clamp 
is from a company that should be clamping in that particular area. And I'm not at this stage saying that the clamping company themselves are are scam artists. We're not saying that because, but it just seems they shouldn't have been clamping in that particular car park because the management are saying we don't operate clamping on our car park. And, And any supermarket that does will as Jim says, clearly have signs to say they're clamping. So I don't know if anybody else has ever heard about that or ever come across that uh, before or is any additional information that we can use to pass on to help out this young girl to get her money back. Let us know 0818 103 103. But certainly it does seem very, very bizarre. Now, we spoke with the Dogs Trust about the problem that some tenants are having when they're trying to rent a property a lot of landlords now landlords can pick and choose what tenants to take because it is all down to supply and demand and there's so few properties available now for rent that if a landlord doesn't like the idea of their tenants having any kind of pets especially a dog then they can simply say no I've got a queue of people behind you who will be willing to rent the property. Donald says, I am a landlord myself and I had a tenant who had a dog in my house and never told me that he had a dog in, uh, in the house. Anyway, when Donald discovered that the tenant had a dog, the dog had gnarled at a solid teak door. Donald says he did so much damage that it can't be repaired. He said he's tried to get the replacement teak in order to replace the part of the dog, but he said it's impossible to get. So the, 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 the door now is permanently ruined because of the damage done by a tenant who had a dog on the property. And I'm assuming from the tone of your call, uh, Donal, you have that rule that you don't want dogs in you rent a property for that very uh, reason. And then somebody else was on to say, I'm a landlord, but I'm also a dog lover. But this texter says, I would never let somebody rent my house that had dogs. We rented a house out once to a person that had dog kennels. But what we didn't know was she ended up bringing the dogs home with her at night from the dog kennels. You should have seen the cut of the house after her when we finally got the tenancy uh, back. And uh, she's a well-known dog kennel owner but she was bringing the dogs home with her goodness me and you know in fairness to Tanya from Dogs Trust to our Kira from Dogs Trust my apologies she was making the point that responsible pet owners who are really good with their dogs and <coughs> properly trained dogs dogs will not do damage in a house I mean most people who are dog owners and dog lovers and have a dog in their own house they keep their own house perfectly and the dog doesn't do any damage. A young pup will in the very early days when you're training a pup. A pup can be, can certainly do a lot of a damage but a properly trained dog shouldn't be doing any kind of damage and if it's your own property you will look after it. It's shameful to think that tenants will bring a dog in without the knowledge of the landlord and then let them do a wreck that is just utterly, utterly shameful. Uh, so you can understand why some landlords, particularly the ones that have been once bitten, twice shy, they're certainly not going to allow dogs back into the property if they've had their premises ruined in the past. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. So we were talking about dogs in the last hour and the unfortunate situation that some tenants find themselves in when they have to surrender a dog to the likes of Dogs Trust or an animal charity because they're trying to rent a property 
and the property they're trying to rent uh, the landlord landlady will not allow dogs or any type of pets and during the course of my chat with the Dogs Trust I did mention the cost of living and how that is negatively affecting families as well while everybody is struggling at the moment with everything going up in uh, price there are no doubt some families who are faced with that dilemma can we afford to keep our uh, pet well that has prompted one listener to say uh, Patricia I love my dogs and I always look after them very well but what I'm finding it very hard at the moment is I'm finding it more and more difficult to keep up with veterinary bills. I find the vets are more interested in bringing in money than looking after the animal. It all seems to be x-rays, scans and doing more blood tests and obviously all of that costs uh, money. And then they can also suggest that you go for very expensive dog foods. The vets long ago would examine the dog, treat them and all will be fine and off you go. Now it all seems to be about getting extra tests done and x-rays and, and uh, scans. Uh, this I feel is putting a lot of people off actually having a dog which is very, very sad indeed as uh, a texter. And I suppose in defence of vets the reason why it's so different today to say what it was many years ago there's so many diagnostics that are now available that weren't there in previous times. You know, you would, you would never have got your dog x-rayed or scans or uh, they, w- they would the availability of the diagnostics wouldn't have been there. So I suppose, you know, veterinary medicine has certainly come on along a lot. I don't think hand on heart that any vet deliberately brings in an animal and is adding all of these different tests and procedures to be done just to make money. I think they, at the end of the day, they're in the profession to look after the animal. But I do take on board what you're saying, that if with the current cost of living, and the way the cost of living is gone at the moment and people struggling, if you've got veterinary bills to add on to all the other bills that are coming in, yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. Thank you for your text to 86 103. And there was a little bit of good news yesterday when it comes to energy costs for businesses, but unfortunately, not such good news for us householders. This was the news yesterday that Electric Ireland is going to reduce some of the prices, anything up to 15% for businesses with an average cut of about 10% and they're going to introduce that for 10 months. When I heard that yesterday I said oh what terrific news and then I waited to hear what were they going to do for domestic customers and they came out and said sorry no immediate plans to introduce any kind of reductions for the domestic uh, customers. Now political parties are saying it was incredible that householders were being treated differently to to businesses. I know the Labour Party TD, uh, Jed Nash, he was one of the first out and he said like a credible explanation for the disparity is surely needed from Electric Ireland. Now he did point out that Electric Ireland were one of the companies that did give a 50 euro credit to all of their uh, customers. But he says it's going to stick in the craw of hard-pressed bill payers when 29% of all Irish householders are estimated at the moment to be in energy poverty. He said the price they pay to the market is the same whether you're a business com- customer or whether you're a parent trying to raise two children in a very modest home. He said why then have they decided to treat householders differently 
to how they're going to treat their business uh, customers. And the Sinn Féin Senator Lynn Boylan, she said the government should now move to reform the electricity market. She feels it's skewed now towards the large energy users. She said Sinn Féin has been calling for the market to be designed so that the large energy users can be reverse subsidising householders, which of course is the opposite to what's happening at the uh, moment. And we only, dis- uh, we only discovered that uh, a number of months ago that householders were all subsidising the larger energy uh, users and that galled uh, a lot of people. Uh, she says that this would mean that householders would pay less rather than the other way around, which is the case at the moment. She said Electric Ireland should be doing the maximum to help people during what is a cost of living crisis. Now, I also saw that the Consumers Association, I was waiting for them to come out as soon as this announcement was made. They say it's galling, it's upsetting for customers to see price cuts for one group, i.e. the businesses, but not for all householders. Uh, Consumers Association says it was time that consumers saw a price reduction bearing in mind that wholesale energy costs have fallen back to what now today are 18 month lows. Now, Electric Ireland is interesting because, of course, they're owned by the ESB and they have 1.1 million customers. They're actually the state's biggest energy uh, supplier. So they have 1.1 million customers and of course they also supply gas to 250,000 people. And Electric Ireland, they only increased their prices in October of last year. When they did it last October, electricity went up at 38% and gas went up by a staggering 47%. And at that time in October, when we were talking about those increases from Electric Ireland, it was adding on average €446 a year for electricity. And if you're a gas company, a customer with Electric Ireland, that increase in October was adding an extra €516 Euro a year. Bearing in mind also that Electric Ireland increased prices for households three times last year, but they also increased it twice the uh, previous year. This meant that the average cost of electricity has doubled in about two years. It has gone now, it's typically €2,000 a year and before all these price increases kicked in, the typical household was spending about €1,000. Now some would, would, it would be less and for others it would be slightly higher but that's now gone to 2000 And of course, the reason why everybody was hoping that Electric Ireland was going to reduce the cost of electricity to householders was just last week Pinergy came out and Pinergy were the first energy suppliers to come out and say they are going to cut their prices. First price cut in uh, three uh, years. That then was ramping up the pressure on the likes of the other players and the bigger players, i.e. Electric Ireland and also Board Gosh. And Pinergy broke ranks, though, last week to deliver a price reduction. I think it's just a little over 7% and they're introducing that for all of their customers from the end of March. So we were expecting that this week Electric Ireland and Board Gosh and other providers would follow suit, but certainly that hasn't happened. The Energy Minister, Eamon Ryan, has called on suppliers to householders to cut prices, especially now that the wholesale costs are falling. But Electric Ireland have confirmed it's only businesses that are going to see prices coming down. Small firms, by the way, have been told they'll be getting the larger reductions. Now, experts have always uh, said also that some of the hikes for businesses in the last year and a half 
have been much more severe than what has been imposed on householders and God knows we've spoken with a number of small businesses since all these price hikes were introduced um, and some of them seeing their electricity bill not just doubling, tripling. We know that businesses have gone to the wall and have been forced to close and they've cited the high energy costs. So I don't think anybody takes, anybody will take from businesses, you know, not giving, being given some kind of a dig out from Electric Ireland. But it's just galling that they can offer one rate to one customer and not to the other customer, bearing in mind that they are the biggest electricity supplier. And only this morning I heard Simon Coveney, the minister for enterprise trade and uh, employment, he said and was agreeing that householders will, will be questioning this approach by Electric Ireland and he said while well, he also welcomes it for businesses that electricity prices are going to come down but he says I think many householders when they heard this story yesterday will be asking themselves the question why isn't it applying to my bill and he thinks that is a fair question to uh, answer and Simon Coveney also said that the Minister for Finance Michael McGrath was correct yesterday when he said that he thinks customers and householders would have a legitimate expectation now that the same would apply uh, to them, bearing in mind that wholesale prices for gas has fallen uh, significantly and the government want to see householders benefiting from that change uh, in in the market as well. And I know we have looked before when we start to see wholesale prices coming down and we had a flurry of texts and calls in from listeners saying, well, if they're paying less, if the energy companies are paying less, why are they not passing it on? But of course, as it's been explained to us, they future buy their the energy and their their gas and oil. Uh, so what we'd be using at the moment might have been bought, you know, maybe six months, eight months ago. But certainly now going forward with with the with what they're paying and the, the the price falling on the world market, it's going to be very hard for these companies to justify the high prices that they are uh, charging. But certainly not good news for Electric Ireland customers yesterday. Now, you know, as I say, a number of government parties and a number of government ministers coming out and saying, you know, that customers have legitimate questions to ask about this. So let's wait and see. Will pressure come on the likes of Electric Ireland to reduce their electricity market for everybody? The reduce their electricity prices for everybody across the market, not just their business customers. 0818-103-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Jobs. Part-time receptionist is required for DNG Galvin auctioneers. They're based in Bandon. Experience in the property industry would be an advantage. Email CV and a cover letter, please, to info at mgalvin.ie. Part-time bookkeeper is wanted for a busy agricultural garage. It's in the Dunamore area. Text 87 233 Healthcare assistant with Fetech our QQI Level 5 in care of the older person is wanted for Nazareth House Nursing Home in Drumaham. CVs please to hr.mallow at nazarethcare.com And the Kerry Group, they're offering 50 job opportunities in the Charleville area. Training will be provided and you can get more information by going online and visiting jobs.kerry.com You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. You can just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is 
C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Earlier this month, I spoke with one of our listeners, Eileen, who was highlighting an issue she had with an appointment at CUH. She turned up for the appointment only to be told the appointment didn't exist and for some reason the letter was sent out in error. During the course of that chat Eileen mentioned that she was blind in one eye and was waiting on cataract surgery. Listening to the interview was Independent All Deputy Michael Collins who contacted us to offer Eileen a seat on one of his Belfaster blind buses and I'm delighted to say Eileen had her cataract operation done at the weekend and uh, she joins me and just in a couple of minutes I'll also be joined uh, by Deputy Michael Collins but firstly uh, Eileen joins me. Good morning Eileen. Good morning Patricia. Well how are you doing today? I am brilliant. I'm very grateful to the doctors in Belfast They've done a terrific job. And did you travel on your own or did you bring somebody with you for support? My sister went with me because I'm blind in one eye and the eye that I had the cataract surgery was covered. So I couldn't see where I was going. So my sister went with me. Okay, so being blind in one eye, the eye that you had sight in, that was the one affected by the cataract? Correct. And was your sight very limited then because of that? Oh, it was. It was very shady. And how is it now? Perfect. Is it? <laughs> yeah, as if I never had a cataract. And, and t- was it a tough decision to decide, I'll go to Belfast and I'll go on the bus? No. No, because the support I was getting was absolutely brilliant. I couldn't leave it the way it was because the eyesight was getting worse. And you and were you were fearful of going fully blind. That that was your big worry. Absolutely. And I'm a young enough woman. Well, I was considered over 60s young enough. Yeah, absolutely. And too young to be blind. Yeah, 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 for sure. What about the bus journey to Belfast? Did you find that long? Did you find it arduous? No, it was so comfortable. And we stopped halfway and we had a bite to eat. Great. No, and the bus wasn't too warm, not too hot. Great. It was fantastic. So it sounded like a little bit of a road trip, like a little bit of a holiday almost. This is what it was. And you weren't watching the clock or anything. So, yes, I would recommend it to anyone. And the staff at uh, Kingsbridge Hospital in Belfast are exceptional by all accounts. Oh, they were brilliant. They couldn't do enough for you. So your, your only regret is, Eileen, that you didn't do it sooner. Well, I suppose like that I had to take my turn. Yeah, yeah. Well, well done. Well done. Let me bring in um, Deputy Michael Collins, who, as I say, had been listening that first day and contacted us to say that he'd be willing uh, to help Eileen out. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, is it bus number 113? Did I see that? Yes. The week? Bus 113 uh, is, is the bus that uh, Eileen travelled in um, uh, last Saturday. And, you know, just different uh, the usual, yeah, and appearance is rare enough. We, we may sometimes get one person that lost sight of one eye, but we had three people who had lost a sight of one eye, and, and uh, thankfully all got um, 
you know, had successful operations in, in, in Belfast, went up on Saturday morning. You know, up bright and early, yes, uh, that's probably the, the downfall sometimes. They have to be above for consultation at one o'clock and a taxi comes to the hotel after they're checking in, collects them free of charge, takes them for their consultation, drops them back. And then they're free on that Saturday or whatever they go, most likely Saturdays they go, uh, to maybe take a stroll down to Belfast, take a rest, have something to eat or whatever until the next morning. And again, the same system kicks in a taxi, collects them at the door for your charge, takes them down to the hospital. They have their 25-minute surgery and and they're all recovery. And in most cases, a lot of people, <laughs> they can't believe it when they're talking to the anesthesiast. The anesthesiast is, is, is originally from Bantry, so there's huh. a bit of West Cork, uh, a touch of West Cork going on up there as well. But, you know, the whole thing, O'Callaghan's bus uh, personnel are, are brilliant. The, ho- the hotel staff are top task because we either use the Europa Hotel, the Grand Central Hotel or the Stormont Hotel, whichever is available. And Kingsbridge Private Hospital, you know, the whole thing works very, very, very efficiently and clear. And it's all, it, it, and, and obviously when people are going up, they meet someone that might have gone up before for to get the other eye done. And it gives them great comfort to find out, well, you know, because some people have worry and, and why wouldn't they? It's it's a surgical procedure, but they get a little bit of time to talk to the to the person in the bus and they're telling them the ease that they had with the first eye. And, you know, they're quite relaxed going up for the second eye seeing as they had such a success in the first eye. So, and it's, it know. sounds like it's a well-oiled machine at this stage, Michael, the way you say, you know, check into the hotel, taxis arrive, start bringing old people over and back, leisurely yeah. evening, over and back again in the taxis and then back on the bus and you're home again. I mean, you, you have it down to a fine art at this stage. Oh, it is oiled and greased to perfection. <laughs> and the people, you know, I give them a taxi time schedule before they leave so they know exactly the time to be at the door. A taxi pull up, you call out their name, hop into the taxi, the person is always, somebody always with the people because it, we insist on that to make sure that they go and come safely. Yeah. And they're done and they're back back within one hour after the consultation and it's kind of relaxing time for them then, you know, to prepare themselves for the operation the next day. And again, at that, there's a t- they get on the taxi time schedule that they have before them before they leave they know they have to be at the door at such a time in the morning again the taxi comes up calls up their name and in fairness to the hospital they're paying for that taxi service so like everything is done very as efficiently and as cheaply and as fair as possible yeah. and of course they get and, the and, and Eileen it's literally Michael says it's a 25 minute procedure yeah I didn't miss it going at all Patricia is it okay if I take this opportunity to thank Michael and his team for all their support. They have been brilliant. Okay, well done, well done. And did you feel anything? Was it uncomfortable when it was being done? No. No, I do it again if I have to. And then you, 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 you say the eye that had the cataract then had to be covered. And of course, because you're blind in the other eye, that causes a bit of problem for you. How long did it have to remain covered? Overnight. So you drove, you came home on the bus with it covered? I did. And then the following morning took it off? Took it off and I could see as clear as day one. It's just, it's unreal. It's, it is a very simple procedure, Michael, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not, take, I'm, I'm not in any way taken away from the life-changing uh, procedure that it, it has made for somebody like Eileen who's blind in one eye. But it's, it is very simple. 
it is a very simple procedure, but sometimes uh, people think it's so simple, uh, Patricia, that I'd have 90-year-old men and women telling me, we're going up on our own, we're flying. But I, I do, we do insist that someone has to go with them, but it is a I simple know. procedure, thanks be to God. And it's, it's a very successful procedure. And we had a, another gentleman from Mallow Patrick, and I was talking to him yesterday, he was crying for joy, because yeah, he, had lost, uh, he had lost the sight of one eye in youth, uh, not due to Catholic, no fairness, but uh, at youth. And he just thought, is this one I had a walk? And I did in two and a half weeks, he got his operation, he was crying for joy yesterday because he said like this is my I see stuff this morning and I'm seen for years and years of my life I can't believe it he said so he t- even so even to the point that his wife told him he said to she said it's not me that I, I, I you never tell I was as old as I am because you see me now <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah it's I, I mean I I think you know as you say it's it, it very unusual that you would have three people on the same bus who are already just, blind in one eye I mean that's 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 just life changing for them, Michael, to have had the cataract sorted on their one good eye. It certainly is, and at least you know I, I know a gentleman that went up a few weeks ago, and he had, he was blind one eye. He was determined that that's the eye he do. But I knew before he left, and I didn't want to be telling him because I'm not the surgeon or the medical professional over there that that's not the eye they would do. And, and when he came home, he, they told him, "Your other eye is fading. We'll go and save the one." That that that's still still uh, your sight, and, and they did. No, he went up. And uh, I've been trying to ring his daughter, but in fairness, his daughter's walking at different difficult hours, and I, I haven't got a response yet. But I'm hopeful that he he went up down the last to get his blind eye done. Now that's a, diff- a di- more difficult procedure, but yeah. they will carry it out. But they'll certainly go save the first one that's not blind first, and and then for the one that's blind to see, yeah, to can give, they can to they give people, it? yeah, to, to, uh, to return. And do and, and do many? Am I right in thinking that if you have a cataract in one eye, there's a- if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Strong possibility you'll have cataract in the other eye. Almost 100%. Yes, it's guaranteed. Right. Very, very few uh, just come with one and, and, and I don't see them anymore. I usually get them back again. You know, and they, they stop and sometimes they wait for the reimbursement, which is fair enough because, you know, it's an expensive uh, layout initially and then when you get the reimbursement, it softens the, the hit and it, it, it actually back almost pays them. It now, talk to, me, to talk to me about that side of it, just to allay people's fears on how the reimbursement works and how that whole procedure works to get you, because you must pay up front when you go yes, to Belfast. The, 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 the HSE in Kilkenny are strict, but they're very fair. With okay. people, and there is a set of rules there. And people don't sometimes abide by the rules or forget or make a mistake, and that's humanly possible. But the first thing they must get, and if, if a person says to me they have a credit card, they can do all the payments of credit card in the north. So that is money... Changing over to sterling, all that worry is cast aside. So the only other thing they have to do before they leave is get a referral letter with the name of the surgeon in Belfast on it. If they if they go to their doctor and just say that they want a cataract, they won't get a reimbursement. The name of the surgeon, and they'll be told the name of the surgeon by the hospital before they go. Needs they need to write that down. Go to their doctor and say, "Can you refer me to this surgeon in in Belfast for my operation?" Which all if GPs are willing to do, I take it. There, that which is all an GPs issue. Are okay. To do. So all they, I mean, they're, they're only they're delighted not. to see their patients getting sorted out. Let's be honest. There's quite a lot of them uh, recommend them. To, they, they told me the doctor told me to ring you and okay. and 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 the eye specialist as well. So. Uh, the second, the second thing, then, when they're in Belfast, the Kingsbridge, Kingsbridge will give them the farms uh, to take home with them for the reimbursement. So okay. when they come back, they have to keep their uh, their hotel receipt. I'd be telling them before they leave, make sure if, if you buy a bottle of water or newspaper, keep a receipt because the HSE want to be guaranteed that everything is above board, and they want a receipt from the hospital, but they want an independent receipt from the hospital also uh, to prove you're above. So it's quite simple. They're checking out in the morning. They're paying 130 pounds for two people that stayed overnight. They keep that receipt. That will nearly suffice, but maybe another one or two receipts because they have to have buy some bit of food or their above will, will also be. But you don't uh, get that simple. money reimbursed. That's no. Just to prove you were in Belfast, you won't get that. Uh, what you'll get is is is, is part of the consultation and part of the, uh, most part of the operation reimbursed. So I think roughly two between consultation and operation you're talking about two thousand two hundred, and you'll get eighteen hundred and seventy back. Okay, it's the bulk that's, of it. It's the bulk that's of it. It's about hundred and thirty euro for two people in a hotel in Belfast. One room, yeah, it's a deal we d- we've done with the, either the Europa or uh, the Grand Central or um, Starman Hotels, one of the three hotels. Uh, and I do the booking through the Europa and they'll either they'll come back to me and say, this is full, but one of these hotels are, are free and available. We take the three, uh, one of the three, and it's £130. That's one, not with one, breakfast, though. One one room, two beds, including two breakfasts in the morning. Oh, you get so, the breakfast as well? And the breakfast in the morning. So do we all be going up soon? We'll be letting down, we're going for something. <laughs> That's but, um, unreal. That's, that's un- no, unreal. Okay, so and then how long does it take once you fill in all the forms, send off everything you need to send off to Kilkenny? How long, generally speaking, does it take? They're saying five weeks, but it's not. Unfortunately, it's taking seven, eight weeks. And if there's any little bit of a mistake, someone fails to put in a receipt, or that blocks up the whole thing and people are very frustrated and they're not getting their money back. They get a bit upset. All right, I accept that. But if people look at the farms and get a little bit of help, sometimes they come back to ourselves and we help them. Sometimes they come back to a neighbour or friend that can help fill the farm, make sure all these little boxes are ticked and tick them and put in your receipts, put in your, your you'll have to show a copy of a referral letter and bits and pieces like that. You'll get your reimbursement, I'd say, within between seven and eight weeks. Okay. That's the way it works. Right. You know, it, it, as, uh, as, they're busy. They're as busy. with anything, you've got to dot all the I's, cross all the yeah. T's. And as you said, the fact that so many people are using this 
system to get treatment. That's uh, that's adding uh, absolutely is adding uh, to uh, to to their workload. Okay, I want to stay there because I want to bring in. There's a listener who's listening to us online who's kind of in the same situation. Let me see if I can get in. Um, I might just put Eileen back there. Um, uh, this is Mary in Glenmire. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Patricia. Are you are you in need of a cataract operation? Well, my optician says I am. So she said, you know, this, but I told her I had rang a private specialist and they were, um, to, they would remove it for 2,400, but that was without the consultant fees. So um, I decided, no, I wouldn't go for that. So I must need them so badly. You know, yeah. So and she told me, hold on, because she said sometimes they send a lot of them out to private hospitals. Yeah. So how long are you on the waiting list? Uh, two years. And uh, I rang them and they told me I was due on the 10th of I would be wrong, 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 written to on the 10th of no, the December 2025. But I rang them recently and they told me that I would be um, seen. I would, uh, there was a five-year waiting list and I wouldn't be seen for three more years. Uh, Michael, that's not uncommon, what you're hearing there from Mary. Yeah, it's anything between uh, like three to five years is, is, is the usual, unfortunately, in, the, in, the, in this end of the year where things should be looked after. You know, but look, we are where we are and uh, by all means Mary is listening there we look after her in about a month if she wants to go up to Belfast just press our, our number to yourself well, Mary I, would, you, would, would you go on the bus to Belfast and have it done there? Well I wouldn't actually would fancy it much um, I'm not kind of into travelling an awful lot Would, would you so, just just even think have, have you have you children have you a son or a daughter that you could chat to about it? Um, yeah, I thought I could talk my opposition about it. Um, yeah, just think about it. Yeah. No, just just think yeah. about it. It might it might just be think the answer. All right, yeah. listen, Mary. Thank you for that, and and um, thanks for joining us. Um, sorry, the lines are going all funny on me. Uh, and we had in the last hour, Michael, we were talking with the ophthalmologists. I don't know if you if you heard us. They they reckon they could be helping out to lessen the load of what's happening at the moment. What's well, Something needs to happen uh, on the southern end, down in the Cockery in Denia, uh, Patricia. Uh, you know, this crisis has been going on for, for, for many years. Uh, you know, even I remember when the first bus that went up, that I had a gentleman who told me that his father got it in, in the 1960s, within uh, about two months or three months, and he was waiting four years uh, for, for a cataract operation. So I wish that the opticians certainly can sit down around the, around the table with the, the HSE, but somebody or somewhere, aren't, they're not sitting and the dots aren't being joined and the, and, the, and the T's aren't being crossed to resolve this crisis, resolve this crisis in, in, in its own county or its own, closer to the home place of the people, you know, that are travelling. I have someone now from Argroom looking to go up the next station. That's a severe journey from Argroom right up to Cork in the mm. morning, Cork to Belfast, Belfast to, no matter how good Belfast are, they're top class, it certainly should be happening in, in, in I've always said it could happen in Bantry, Mellow and in Cork and it sadly isn't. Yeah, and that's, it's, that's, it's, uh, yeah, it's cruel to ask people to, to, to travel the, those um, distances. I mean, just our listener wants to know 
uh, Michael, do the people have to go back to Belfast for a six week uh, checkup? Do they have to no. use drops in their eyes for a few days afterwards? Yes, drops in their eyes for a number of weeks afterwards. But okay. no, no, going back. No, the 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 um, uh, surgeon always rings the patients, um, and the hospital always rings the patients the next day to make sure everything is all right. But it's ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time there isn't an issue. There shouldn't be an issue. But there is no going back. There is if you had a surgical procedure in the north, maybe with your hip. Uh, or your knee, there is a need to go back there for the final uh, checkup, but not for your cataracts. Not, not for cataracts. Okay, just a couple of other uh, texts coming in. Hi, Patricia. Um, I went on the Belfaster Blind bus, had my cataract operation done on the 5th of February. In my left eye, I was told in Cork I'd be waiting between three and five years. I'm ever so grateful to have had it done. My thanks to Michael Collins and all the staff at the Kingsbridge Hospital. That's from Anne-Marie in McCroom. Somebody else says how lucky we are uh, in, how lucky are the people in West Cork to have Michael Collins. Uh, he's brilliant. And then someone else says, I'm delighted to hear that people are getting reimbursed for their eye surgery quickly. I'm now waiting 10 months for reimbursement for a hip replacement in Germany. That's a long time, isn't it? 10 months, Michael? That's, that's, that's a, you know, obviously I don't know the situation yeah, there, but, yeah. um, but, but, you know, you'll be worried, you know, that there could be a language breakdown. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, you know, in a situation, somebody went abroad before, not, they came back to us and they, we have to get a language Translator to translate all the documents before we, they were able to get a, um, a reimbursement. But like, I, I'm not sure the system in, in Germany, but I certainly know the system in in, in Belfast is slowed up if your paperwork is wrong uh, via Kilkenny. Um, but if it's if everything is done meticulously right, you should be okay between five okay. and eight weeks. Okay. When is your next bus going? Next bus on the 10th of March and the next one on the 18th of March. And I think I have four in April. I, I just got to check that. So we're 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 working. You know, we were doing about two a month, and there's a lot of work in it. I think we moved up to three to four a month. You know, because of the 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 there's more of a push and more of a demand for and obviously we're doing a lot of other you know travel tunnel techniques. And I look, I try, we'll try our best to get an operation for anyone in Cork or Trudy or anywhere. But certainly, if people are in pain for a hip or a knee or cavitone or prostate gland or any other operational procedure, including cataract, if we're not getting anywhere, I'm, I'm going to give everybody an option. And they have, when they come to the office, we give them two or three options, and they usually pick this option as the, the one to save them uh, from pain or to save their Yeah, well, I think the sight is, I mean, all of us would live in dread of one day uh, going fully blind when you're trying to hold on to as much of your independence as uh, possible. Listen, uh, we leave it there, Michael. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks, thanks for sure. joining us. And my Thanks also to uh, Eileen, who joined us uh, earlier, who uh, went last weekend and had her cataract uh, sorted out. Now, the East Cork town of Yall is aiming to install a famous schooner with historic links to the town. And they want to install it as a permanent tourist attraction. Tasked with purchasing the ship is the Yall Business Alliance Group, which has established a cross-community committee. And joining me with further details is John Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And Thanks for having me. Well, good to talk to you. Now, the schooner is called Kathleen and May. I suppose, tell me a little bit about the history of this sailing ship. I believe it was built uh, in the early 1900s. Yeah, built in 1900 and launched. Um, would have been built over in uh, Bristol and by, in Byford area. Um, I suppose it's a three-masted wooden schooner. Um, well known here in Yall in particular um, because it was afterwards, it was purchased within about eight years afterwards, 1908, by the Flemings of Yall, who were well known um, uh, 
coal trading family. They had a number of ships, including the Nellie Fleming, which was lost in the Great Storm of 1936. But the Kathleen and May, it's the last remaining uh, British-built wooden hull three-masted topsail schooner. You know, it's a very, very unique vessel. Um, it would have been a regular, I suppose, plying its trade to Arklow. It would have been seen as far down as uh, Crosshaven, Court McSherry, Castletown's End. Um, it even brought it even brought China clay in 1943 in the middle of the war um, to Crosshaven for Carrigaline pottery. And it has the unique thing of actually, we've often heard about taking coal to Newcastle. Well, it actually brought Irish coal to England in 1953, first time, first time ever, you know. So it's it's a unique vessel. Um, it's an incredible, uh, I suppose, operation to try and uh, try and do. We're at, at the very early stages of it, I wouldn't be speaking to you today. Only the wind has caught the sails um, in the fact that the All Fishermen's Cooperative um, would have done a presentation to, to us of uh, of uh, they donated a cheque to us there recently, which caught. Uh, the yeah, it was, a, it was a, it was a, it was a thousand yeah. euro, which was which and and it shows the fishing community see the importance of the historical side of a boat like this. And when when would it have stopped as a working cargo ship? What sort of era are we talking about? There was that been back in the sixties and seventies. Uh, as a as a working cargo ship, you know, it's hard to believe that sail was still you know working trading up to up to the up to the late fifties. So okay. that's what you're talking about. But right. it would have had an auxiliary engine fitted back around uh, um, 1931, 32. That auxiliary uh, uh, engine that that saved it really in February 1936 in that awful storm because um, uh, it that auxiliary engine brought it parted away. It wasn't just sail. Because the Nelly Fleming was lost, you know, which was its sister ship. You know, it yeah. continued to trade during the 19, 1939, it was still trading, armed with a Lewis machine gun and a, and a, and a rifle, and it was still coming across um, uh, the Bristol Channel, say, uh, you, you know, and serving y'all. But it has always been regarded as a y'all boat because when it was renamed uh, in 1908, the Kathleen and May, you know, they were two daughters of Martin J. Fleming of y'all. You know, and it has retained that name. It has retained that name uh, ever since. Like, oh, I like the a idea of that. Yeah, I like the idea yeah. of it being named after after the two daughters. And I know I was reading, I think it was in uh, the late 1990s, uh, it was fully restored. Yeah, it was fully restored by Phil Clark o- o- over in England. I mean, they cut, took it apart completely and rebuilt everything. So it's in a very, very, very good condition. And it made a number of trips to y'all there in the late 90s, definitely here 2001. Last trip was 2008. And it's for sale over in the UK at the moment. Um, now, there's a huge amount of planning, logistics and costs involved. Um, as a committee, we're going to be applying for funding from various agencies and private companies, you know. But it was a huge boost for the y'all fishermen's co-op to come on board. because I'll give a donation, you know, yeah. And when you the say it's for sale, really, when you say it's for sale, how much is the asking price, John? Or is there well, an asking we, price? We, we, without going into specifics, we're yeah. looking at a ballpark figure of between two and two and a half million would be the costs involved. So, you know, uh, quite a lot of work involved to raise that money. But we're confident, you know, that we're going to get all with, out we, and behind it. Yeah, and with, and with grants it. and with grants and stuff uh, um, as well. So if in the morning you you miraculously came up with the money and you were able to buy the, the ship. Talk to me about the plans that you foresee for this ship long term. 
Well, I suppose great work has been done here in Yall. To be fair, Cork County Council has done great work. You know, the Greenway um, is under construction, probably to open uh, sometime in 24, the promenade uh, or the, the boardwalk has been done out to Red Barn. Clock 8 has been renewed. Would we see a blank space sitting down there in the market dock, which would revitalise that area? It would revitalise the town centre. So the plan is... Um, that it would be a permanently anchored, permanent location known at the market dock. And we expect that it could attract between 50,000 to 100,000 uh, people a year. And it would definitely fit in with uh, the plan to revitalise the town centre, you know, and bring on the whole, bring on the whole area. Um, like when you come across, you, you can see there is that vacant spot. You know, I mean, when you consider this is where Moby Dick was made, people say, yeah. talk about it, American tourists when they're here. You know, there is that connection with Moby Dick as well and the era of tall ships, you know. And I was on it myself back in the early 80s when it was docked at St. Catherine's Dock there in London. I saw it afterwards again in Brest when it was part of the tall ships race. But it's an iconic ship. And, um, you, you know, as I said, at one time, I think there was about 100 ships out of y'all. And uh, if you go through the Lloyds register and you see the ones that were lost, you know, it's, you know, it's really something that uh, it would be great to have. To have, yeah. And, and is it, uh, after that, you know, enormous uh, restoration that went on in the, in the late 1990s, is it in very good nick? Good it's condition? In good, it's in good nick, yeah. It's yeah. in good nick. We, we have a, a list of everything, say, that that is required, you know, but I suppose the important thing is that every day people are rowing in behind the project and people are volunteering services and helping out. Now, we are preparing a business plan at the moment okay. and um, it would be uh, wrong to get into any more specifics on, on that. But um, there will be a time that we will be launching it. And uh, maybe at that stage, uh, it would be opportune if I could have a few minutes to talk to you again. Great, um, yeah, at the moment, yeah. we have a Kathleen, Kathleen and May Facebook page. OK, um, so um, but as I say, it's an exciting project and it would be great to see it. Uh, you know, coming coming back to the town and revitalising town do, and bringing visitor numbers into town. And I, I think it would be a massive tourist attraction. I mean, anywhere you go where you see these old ships, I mean, they're quite spectacular, the craftsmanship on them and for people to get the opportunity to go on board and walk around them is, is it's a fantastic tourist attraction. Absolutely. You know, and it's great to see people rowing in behind. I know Councillor Mary Lynn Foley from Cork County Council is, is behind this other uh, people are behind us as as well. And like, you know, the whole area up as far as Tallow, uh, like the Kathleen and May went under the bridge at Camp Fair, went up as far as Coolback Key, uh, filled up with pit props, uh, would have gathered pit props at Villiers Town as well. So there is that connection, mm. not alone just with the Blackwater, but with the whole south coast. Uh, with the whole south coast of Ireland, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and but, Camille, you know, does anybody know what happened to the two daughters, to Kathleen and May? Did they stay in the hmm. area? No, I'm afraid I don't have the answer. No, that, I wonder if we one. might look into but that Flemings, and find out what happened to them. The Flemings, like yeah? The, the, the Flemings even had a brickworks at one stage here in town, you know. Um, uh, so there was a number of brickworks here as well, you know. So they were successful business people, basically. OK. Very successful. All right, listen, keep yeah. us keep us up to date on this. I think it's a really, really exciting project and well done to everybody. And I love the idea that it's a cross-community uh, committee. You know, you've got the business, you've got the heritage, the nautical interest. It's great that everybody is coming together. I think this is going to be a really, really big success story for uh, y'all. Uh, keep us um, posted on that, John. And as always, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. I will indeed, Patricia. And, and it is 
great to see everybody coming on board. It is fantastic. You know, fantastic. Thanks OK, much, thanks for that. And people can check out the, the Kathleen and me Facebook page uh, to keep updated. But thanks to uh, John Kelly. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We are going to beautiful Kinsale where Michael Murphy joins me. Good morning, Michael. Hi, Patricia, how are you? I'm not too bad. How are you today? Good, thank you. Is the sun shining in Kinsale or is it a cloudy day? Uh, it's cloudy. Yeah, it's been. It's kind of a bit of a cloudy day. But it's yeah. dry. It's dry Absolutely. and that, that is the main thing. Okay, you heard the song. You sent in your text. I've got a question for you. Uh, and the question is, which of the following is a beach in Cork? Is it Myrtleville or is it Bondi Beach? It is Myrtleville. And that means that you now kind of have a boarding pass. Put your name on it. You'll go forward to a draw with Nick Richards on Friday. So you're one step closer to a week in Mallorca. You could do with a bit of sunshine, could you? Sure, but absolutely. Well, I tell you, you, the the date that we have the tickets booked for and the hotel booked for is the 6th of June. You'd be free on that day, you would. Oh, I'm sure I'll make myself available (laughs) if not there. And it's (laughs) lucky it's the 6th of June and it's lucky it's not this week because would you believe it was snow Snowing in Mallorca yesterday. No way. Yeah, and in Ibiza, I got amazing photographs of, of snow. They got the beast from the east that we didn't get. But it'll be well gone by the 6th of June, I'm told. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Absolutely. Who, who would you bring with you, Michael? Uh, my wife, Orla. Orla, okay. Well, listen, uh, stay tuned. And on Friday, stay by the phone. You could be getting a call from Nick Richards. Listen, thank you for taking part. Thanks, Melly Patricia. Yeah, Very bye good. Bye bye. Bye bye. Michael Murphy in Kinsale, our latest qualifier for the C103 summer getaway. Now that song that you heard, Picture House, Sunburst, it will get played again today. It'll be played with Nick this afternoon and it will be played again with Martina. So stay tuned, listen out for the song when you hear it. You might actually even hear it uh, twice on Nick's show. He could look for two qualifiers, you never know. And then tomorrow we kick off another day of the C103 summer getaway with a brand new Uh, sunshine song of the day. The song's changed every day but the song remains the same throughout the day and your chance to win our third and final holiday. We've given away a holiday to Salou, we've given away a holiday to Lanzarote and the final week is a holiday for two in uh, Mallorca. That's the C103's summer getaway. Win your way to Mallorca all this week only on C103. John Paul's taking your calls at uh, 0818103103 if there's anything you want to share with us we'd love to hear from you and thank you to a Yall listener who was listening to me in the last hour when I was speaking with John Kelly and these really, really ambitious plans by this group that's going under the under the Yall Business Alliance group. But it's a cross-party committee and they've got the business, obviously, from the Cork Business Alliance. But they've got heritage groups, they've got nautical interests and just generally people in the Yall area who see the benefit of bringing this old schooner that has such affinity to Yall. It's up for sale, bring it back and then moor it permanently in Yall and it could become a major tourist attraction. And the ship is called the Kathleen and May and it was named after Michael J. Fleming's two daughters because he was a coal merchant. He bought the ship in 1908 and renamed it after his two daughters which was a lovely thing to do and it's kept the name Kathleen in May and then that got me thinking 
wonder whatever happened to Kathleen and me and do they stay in the Yall area and I knew I knew somebody would have the information a Yall listener was on to say yes Patricia they did remain in the Yall area and they actually lived out their days in the French convent in Yall it was a nursing home at the time and they're both buried out at the North Abbey Cemetery so isn't that nice? So they did remain in the Yall area. So it would be lovely to think that the boat that their daddy decided to name after them would come back to Yall 108 years after it was uh, built. And even more, sorry, it was built in Wales in the, in, in 1900. So it's even it's even more. Uh, but it will come back and then become a permanent attraction. I think it would be a fantastic uh, tourist uh, attraction. I've never been on one of those schooners. I remember I've been where the tall ships are and just walking around looking at them. And just the craftsmanship that's in those particular scooters really amazing so I think it's a, it's a great great story and it'll be a huge huge benefit to y'all if the powers that be and everybody works together and it does look like listening to John sounds like there's a great team there it's just to get all the ducks in a row and the funding side of it is going to be the a big one but there's lots of grants like that that are available so we wish everybody good luck with that and we will promise you we'll keep a close eye on this particular story 0818103103 and I was delighted to read in the paper today a follow on to something we covered on the programme in the last little while. And this was a story about 50 pupils. They were primary school uh, children, mainly from the Mount Oval, Fort Hill and Broaddale areas, that Douglas Rochestown area. They were not able to get school transport for their new school. The Douglas Rochestown Educate Together National School that opened, much fanfare. Everybody was delighted to see the new uh, school reopening reopened and it opened on Cars Hill at the end of um, January. It had previously been in Gary Duff and then this wonderful new school was built and 50 of the pupils who attended the school from the Mount Oval, Fort Hill and Broadale areas, all looking forward and delighted to be going to their new school on Cars Hill, only to discover, even though they all lived over 3.2 kilometres, and if you're a primary school pupil, in order to get on the school bus, to be definitely get a seat on the school bus, you've got to be over 3.2 kilometres. And if you're under that, you can get one of the discretionary tickets. But all of these pupils were well outside of the limit. So their parents thought, happy days, they'll jump on the bus and they'll all be taken along to Cars Hill to their brand new school. Only to discover that however, the and I don't know who was responsible, but it was somebody in the Department of Education and Bus Aaron. They decided, and I'm assuming had never been to the area, they decided to plan a route that they they reckoned that these young children would be able to access on foot. And uh, we heard from one of the parents, John Collier, who did a really good video that he put up online. And that's what drew our attention to this story. And he showed this route that Bus Aaron and the Department of Education thought would be suitable for young school uh, children. And it simply wasn't accessible by foot, by car or uh, by bike. And it, it wasn't safe. I mean, it literally wasn't safe. It had it would have been forcing children to be on the side of very, very busy roads indeed. So anyway, the parents then had to put a campaign together. And they put, in fairness to them, they put a really, really good campaign. As I say, online they had the video footage of what this route would be for their for their students and then they got into, they got on to local public representatives who raised it at the Dáil, uh, etc. And we spoke with John Collier as part of his campaign to try to draw attention to what was happening to the pupils in that area. And they have now been provided with a, a bus, which is fantastic. 
fantastic news and John Collier is quoted in a piece by Anne Murphy in the Examiner today as saying people power has won out and the families were notified last week. He said he is hopeful the service will be up and running shortly. They don't have, have a date as of yet but he thanked the Department of Education and Bus Aaron for simply listening to the pa- parents and seeing reason, reason. And what got to me was when I was talking with John and he was explaining what was, what I said, well, what's happening? Are the children still going to school? And obviously the children were still going to school. But it meant parents having to drop the children in the morning, having to collect them in the evening. They were doing their best to try and do uh, carpooling. Carpooling wasn't working out uh, for everybody. And it was just a huge inconvenience to so many of the parents. At a time when we all know about climate action and climate change and, you know, the government and particularly the Greens and government are doing everything to try to encourage us to take as many cars off the road as possible. So that was the one thing that struck me about this story. Here we had 50 pupils who, if you just put a bus on for them, let the bus take them, they'd all be able to travel in the one bus. And instead, we had all of these parents from all the different households trying to get their children to and from school, schools, you know, and how many extra cars was that putting on the road in an area like Douglas that can already have pinch points when it comes to uh, traffic. So it's good to see that common sense has prevailed and somebody somewhere took a look and decided that yes, that route that they said was going to be perfect for the young people wasn't suitable and that they now have agreed that they're going to get a bus which will take those young people from that area to and from their school. So well done and John Collier is right and well done to all of the parents. It's, It's a shame that they have to go to that length of going public and starting a media campaign and starting a high profile social media campaign but uh, it's 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 the way it's gone, isn't it? We've we've seen it so many times in the past. People having to launch media campaigns in order to try to get a little bit of what is really common sense and that's all they wanted was a bus to take their children to and from school. So well done to everybody involved there. 0818103103. John Paul continues to take your calls. You can text our WhatsApp if there's anything you want to share with us. 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Now, Shambhali Moore, bingo, that's on every Tuesday night. So that means it is on tonight at 8 o'clock and it's on in the community hall. They have a jackpot this week of €1,050. Tomorrow, Wednesday, is the first day of March and Anam Cara will hold their Cork City meeting in the Clayton Hotel in Silver Springs at 7.15 tomorrow night. Now, Anam Cara is a support group for all bereaved parents, uh, regardless of the age of your child or the circumstances of the death of your child. So any bereaved parent in the Cork area and surrounding areas are very welcome to come along. If you'd like further information, you can contact Anam Cara on 085 288888R. You can email info at anamcara.ie. And best of luck to everybody at the Bantry Memory Cafe. That's going to be held tomorrow, Wednesday, and it'll be held on the first Wednesday of every month thereafter. Maritime Hotel in Bantry from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. The free cafe is a welcome place for people to meet others living with dementia or cognitive impairment, as well as their family and their friends. It's also a great opportunity to meet up with health and social care professionals and the first one of those is tomorrow morning good luck to everybody involved there and the
monthly Mass in honour of St. Pio. That'll be held in St. Joseph's Church in Lismire tomorrow night. That's at 8 o'clock. All are very welcome. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Just let me catch up with some of your texts and calls that have coming into the programme this morning. We spoke earlier about uh, Councillor Bernard Moynihan who brought to the full Cork County Council yesterday a motion to call on the GAA to reconsider their decision whereby they don't allow cash to be accepted anymore at the gates when people are going into matches. Stephen says what the GAA now need to do, they need to address this issue and address it urgently. And can I also say, this isn't an issue that's just affecting Cork because this is a nationwide issue. This is happening everywhere. So Stephen reckons, go right to the top. Either go to the new president-elect or the existing president and get them to take a look at it and take a look at this decision and let people be allowed to purchase tickets with uh, cash. Stephen also says there's another issue for people who decide last minute they might want to go to a game. Before, he said, you could simply turn up at the turnstile and get your ticket. That's no longer, a, that's, that no longer now can happen unless you book it on a line. Uh, and he reckons that's also stopping people from going. And Martin in Enniskeen says he's a GAA supporter and he says he doesn't plan to go to games in advance. Depends on what's happening in his life, how busy is he. He also gives great consideration to the weather. He said if the weather is particularly bad on the day, he said I might decide I don't really want to go to that match anymore. So he says if he had purchased his ticket in advance, that ticket would go to waste. And he said if it's a sellout game, that's unfair because somebody who genuinely might want to go, regardless of the weather, would lose out. He feels going back to the cash system is much fairer, much better. And no one is losing out that way. He would also like them. I haven't seen anyone who has said the GAA are right, by the way, in doing what they're doing. And as I say, it's not, it's, well, it's an issue we're addressing here in Cork. This is a nationwide issue because it was a decision that, from what I can gather, was made at top level by Croke Park and then filtered down to all the county boards. Was that the way it operated? I'd have to get clarity on that. And I mentioned the wonderful Northern Lights because all of the newspapers today, the most gorgeous colour photographs of the Aurora Borealis. And when you look at it, you just sort of look at those photographs and I saw some video clips as well that people put up online from people particularly around the Donegal area on on Sunday night they, they posted it up online uh, yesterday and it just it struck me how wonderful nature is I mean it's just this display of lights just absolutely spectacular Eddie Bandon says many years ago when the Northern Lights took place he said many older people felt it was a sign of war back in the days when there was no phones and no radios and people didn't quite understand what it was and people thought it was the start of some kind of a war and Peter in Kinsale said when he lived in uh, Canada many years ago people believed that the lights were the lanterns of demons chasing lost uh, souls Uh, older people and older generations were certainly very superstitious when they didn't understand what's going on but thankfully we've got groups now like Astronomy Ireland who are clearly able to explain exactly what happens when we see the Northern Lights but it was beautiful to see them across Ireland uh, for sure. Now I mentioned that good news story about the young people getting their bus, the primary school children in the the Douglas Rochester area getting their bus there's another good news story that I came across in the papers today for uh, patients and none of us know when we may need the service of a helicopter that we need to land a Cork University hospital. Because according to Own English in the Examiner today, the long-awaited helipad 
could be in operational at Cork University Hospital within the next year. Health chiefs are hoping that construction on the infrastructure will start this summer and then once the work starts it'll take about nine months to construct. It means that CUH, which bear in mind is one of the country's largest hospitals, it also is a level one trauma centre for the South. It could have an operational helipad by March of next year and that, I have to tell you, is more than 20 years after the original helipad was decommissioned. Yes, there was a helipad at CUH, but that got de- decommissioned. Now, planning for this helipad has been in place since July of 2019. Almost €2 million Euro in funding has been secured to build it, so it wasn't a funding uh, issue. But then there's been a series of delays and obviously the COVID pandemic arrived on our shores and that delayed this long-awaited project and has certainly delayed it for the duration of the pandemic. But now, following a series of questions to the South South West Hospital Group. A spokesman has confirmed, yay, the project is now back on track. CUH have been without a helipad, as we say, since, tw- since 2003. Now, the reason it was taken away was the landing pad, which at the time was relocated on the southeastern corner of the hospital campus. It was decommissioned. Why? Because it was making way for the new emergency department, which is currently where the old helipad was. Now, construction of a landing pad on the roof of that new building, that was ruled out at the time. And I know whenever we used to bring up about the helipad, everyone used to say, why don't they just simply put it on top of the roof? If you look at other hospitals around the world, They'll have a helipad right on top of the roof. But seemingly it was ruled out. It was ruled out on budgetary. Obviously, it was going to cost uh, too much. There was aviation reasons, but there was also engineering reasons. I don't quite understand where all the reasons were, but seemingly there was a variety of reasons. And they said, no, they can't put it on top of that particular uh, building. Now, since 20 years ago, since, since CUH lost its original landing pad, there has been several missed target dates over that 20 years for the delivery of this replacement landing pad. Aviation consultants subsequently identified another suitable site. It's now in the northeastern area of the CUH campus. What's currently there is a staff car park. So there has been objections from some residents who live near to the hospital and live live near close now to where the proposed flight path for the helicopters will be. Obviously, they're citing concerns about noise and about uh, safety. But even with those objections. The project has been granted approval with conditions and that approval was granted back in July of 2019 but then the pandemic and nothing has happened uh, since. So it looks like it's back on track now. The project includes the installation of two metre high acoustic screening barriers on the northern edge of the helipad and the northern edge of the helipad is closest to where those adjoining homes are. So hopefully with this acoustic pad it will keep the noise down. The delivery of the helipad requires the construction also obviously of a new two-storey staff car park that'll go in on the western side of the campus because obviously they're going to have to replace the parking spaces which are going to be lost to the helipads so the staff have to be looked after as well. So they're going to have to be built. So whether they're going to have to be built first and then they start the work on the construction of the helipad. But just to say, it is back in the papers, it's back in the news and according to the South Southwest Hospital Group, the project is definitely back on track and a lot of people will say 20 years has been a long time for a hospital of that size and the fact that it is a level one trauma centre for the South. It's been a long time without a helipad. I think it's the, it's the Bishopstown GAA 
field I think they use but then they have to have they have to land the helicopter and then an ambulance has to get there to get the patient and obviously if somebody's been airlifted it's it's it is a an urgent trauma that needs to be dealt with immediately so a little bit of a good news story we'll take that this is the court today replay on C103 and Joe Heffernan joining me on this Tuesday afternoon good afternoon to you Joe Good afternoon, Patricia. And How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Good. Still battling a bit with the throat, but getting there slowly but surely. I have loads of water and sucky sweets with me and we are battling on and getting through it. Okay. Now, we want okay. to talk today about um, winter Lent um, and a lot of people give yeah. up things. Or as I mentioned earlier to uh, Kent Tobin on The Breakfast Show, you don't always have to give up things. You can take up something as well. Absolutely. So that's got, yeah. that put you in mind about goals and goal setting. And then that yeah. got me thinking, is it good for us to have a goal? Well, to tell you the truth, Patricia, I think it's absolutely vital. Um, I mean, um, it gives us, as it were, a reason for living. It gives us a reason to go on. It gives us a reason to um, uh, to make plans. Um, and all of that, like, sounds to be very um, uh, positive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, I, I always think about having a project. Um, it used to be, you remember now the CDs um, when they were on the go, when we were making them, yeah. they were a goal. That was something to be done. Um, work-wise, um, you know, uh, we have to uh, keep up to date and do our continuing personal development and uh uh, that needs to be done. Um, uh, you know, we need to support each other in tough times, uh, which I suppose we are undergoing at the moment. Um, uh, there's my own thing <laughs> with my hip and that. Like, I mean, my short-term goal at the moment is um, uh, put on my right sock. Yeah, um, and it it, does... yeah, and goals can be... It can be the very big ones like I'm going to run a marathon or, you know, I'm going to do the couch to 5K became quite popular at one stage. But they can be the small ones uh, as well. And you can feel great when you've achieved your goal. I'll give you an example of one that when I was out sick last week and I was kind of absolutely nuts being at home all day. I'm just, I'm just not used to it. So I was setting, as I was starting to get better, I was setting little goals like that cupboard. Now, I really need to tackle that cupboard and, and clean it out. And then when you would achieved, you can't, you felt good about yourself. Yeah. That, that, you, that is very well described. It needn't be a major thing. It needn't be changed the world. It can be um, catch up on those uh, few notes or it can be, um, uh, you know, pick up that novel and start to read it. Um, uh, in my case, it can be uh, get that right sock put on. Yeah, and get it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you, yeah. And, you, and, the day and that will, will be come. a big achievement yeah, for me. Yeah, and the day will come and, and you'll feel great. So the big one, I suppose, is you, you, you name the goal, whatever it is, whether it's a big goal or a small goal, you just... Exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, there was a thing um, happened, there was a book called um, What They Don't Teach You in the Harvard Business School by a chap, Mark McCormack. And it was about a study conducted on students in the 1979 Harvard MBA program. And in that year, the students were asked, have you set clear, 
written goals for your future and made plans to accomplish them. Now, only 3% of the graduates had written goals and plans. 13% had goals, but they were not in writing. And a whopping 84% had no specific goals at all. Now, the, they went back 10 years later, and the members of the same class were interviewed again, and the findings, while somewhat predictable, were nonetheless um, pretty astonishing. The 13% of the class who had goals were, this is all about earnings now, but anyway, mm. it can apply to anything. The 13% of the class who had goals were earning on average twice as much as the 84% who had no goals at all. Goodness. And believe it or not, the 3% who had clear written goals, they were earning on average 10 times as much as the other 97% put together. Imagine. Mm. Well, it so, doesn't surprise me, because it's like when a student, if you've got, you know, a student who's very focused on their study and they lay out a study plan, mm. you're guaranteed they're, they are the young people who do very well in exams because they have a clear plan and a clear goal. You know, I have to cover so much of the curriculum, I have to do so much of the syllabus in such and such a time frame. And and that now brings us to point number two. Um, so we name what it is that um, uh, w- what we want to achieve, and the next thing then is um, we we name what I must do to achieve that. Like, um, w- w- what's the first thing I need to do? Now it might be if you take it in the student uh, in college thing there, that, like we're saying. Um, it might be buy that textbook. It might be have a chat with that mentor in college. Uh, it might be whatever. Mm. But uh, the first little step. It's the plan of action. A plan of action and um, uh, uh, it's, it's a doing thing. Yeah, like somebody who's, who's considering taking up exercise and maybe they've never exercised before. They pl- you, they, your plan of action, you'll start very slowly. And, and, and build it up. And, and, that's, and, and that brings us to the next bit. You do it in small, manageable. Whatever the goal is, it's small, manageable steps. Because you, exactly. you can get overwhelmed otherwise. Absolutely. I was delighted now last week. Um, uh, my GP was asking me how I was doing in the exercise for the hip replacement. And uh, <laughs> I said anyway, um, maybe I'm not doing enough. And he said, um, well, it's very important not to overdo it. And I felt like saying, would you give me that now in writing? (laughs) Because um, I'm hearing so much about exercise, 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 that it felt very good to be told not to overdo it. So that brings us to, um, uh, to break the plan into small, manageable steps. Um. You know, that we're not going to get the whole thing done by um, seven o'clock this evening. That um, is there any little thing that one could do today? It could be a phone call. It could be write an email. It could be anything. Um, But uh, a small, manageable step. And that gets us on our way. That's like last week now when you were saying, okay. I'm not going to be exactly running any marathons this week, 
but I can tackle that cover that needs a bit of tidying up. Mm. And then, as you also said, you felt a sense of achievement when, it was done, when you had yeah. done it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I just wish somebody would come into my house and open the cupboard and go, oh, look how tidy that is. But nobody <laughs> nobody ever visits when you've got the cupboards all nice and tidy. So so you you, you, you begin, to, whatever it is you have in your head, and, and, you know, and I'm hoping people are focusing on their own goals so that they'll know what it is. It's step by step. Step by step. Um, I mean, we often hear the the term um, smart goals. Now, the word smart obviously has S-M-A-R-T. So we break it down then into those words, smart goals. The, the goal should be specific. What exactly is it that you want to achieve? The, to You know, in other words, like, there isn't much point in setting out uh, on a journey that you don't know where you're going. It should be measurable. How will you measure your progress? Well, I suppose um, we measure our progress by simply noting our progress. Um, I intended to do that. I got it done. Okay, that's measuring the progress there. Um, uh, specific, measurable Appealing. What's the payoff? How will this benefit me? I mean, normally we wouldn't have a goal that there's nothing to be gained by At it. the end of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'd have, uh, we, you know, um, it would have to be um, appealing. Um, uh, like you with the cupboard now and me with the sock, um, you know, we, um, we will um, we'll feel better when it's done. And... Um, uh, and, and that's very important. Otherwise, why would we? I mean, why would one uh, set out to achieve something that it didn't matter a hoot whether they... Well, it's like had... if you speak to anyone who undertook a marathon, they all talk yeah. about, you know, how tough it is and the training yeah. is really tough. But that feeling at the end when you cross the finish line, that feeling is seemingly incredible. Yeah, yeah, and, and then do we come to the next word in the smart word, realistic. For example, <laughs> the marathon will not be on my list. Okay. Um, so um, how realistic is this goal? Um, for example, if I, which I was, um, fairly um, not good at mathematics uh, in school, so I wouldn't have set a goal um, uh, to achieve something uh, which demanded um, uh, um, uh, being good, at least. Yeah, good that's that's where math. the the reality check comes into it. I mean, don't set yourself up to fail if you know Absolutely. in your heart and soul you're never going to be able to achieve that goal. You're just setting yourself up for failure. Then. Absolutely. So you won't hear me today anyway saying <laughs> that the marathon is in my sights. Okay. We might get you out on a on a, a a 1K walk eventually. Well, this is it. Yeah. And I mean, yesterday now, I went out a bit of the road. Well and done. Um, I, I think I felt a little, a tiny little bit better last night. And uh, I will do the same today. And, um, you know, that's extremely realistic. Mm. Um, it, it, it won't be 5K, but it, it might be 1K. Yeah. And... Um, uh, and and I'll feel the benefits of it both physically and mentally from the point of view that, you know, uh, you felt that that was a good thing to do and you went and did it. So there's come six o'clock this evening. 
if I don't do it, I will feel that I, you know, kind of uh, uh, left the side down a small bit. And if I do do it, which I will, I'll feel better. Great, yeah. yeah. Look, and then the, the final word in SMART is T for, and it's it's timed. It, 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 do you suggest that you you actually put a time scale on the goal setting? Exactly, exactly. To have um, to have some couple of um, kind of landmarks that one would reach. Um, I, I don't want to be talking too much now about myself and my hip thing, but um, I'll be seeing the surgeon now on the uh, 9th of March. And um, that will, um, uh, that's a kind of a, a winning post or a, a winning line out there that I, I want to be fairly good by that date, you know. Mm. I, I, I want to hear um, a bit of positivity about um, you're making progress, you're making good progress and, and all of that. And then when it comes to the payoff that we talked about for that, um, I will be hoping to be told you can now drive because um, I'm being chauffeured wherever I need yeah, to go at the going. moment that's, that's, if it's only over the border being back. So, th- so th- that's the SMART goals, the S-M-A-R-T. So, and then along the way, you, you recognise and notice all of the little successes, no matter how small they are, recognise them and, you know, say, well done, I've achieved that. Absolutely. I mean, little affirmations of I am getting better. Um, I definitely am. And I mean, uh, you know, whatever the goal is uh, with any listener um, who has uh, set uh, any goal. And again, like to stress that it needn't be earth shattering. It it needn't be um, a major, major um, uh, achievement. It can be a nice little achievement that um, that makes us feel, um, you know, to a great degree, to some degree, in charge of our lives, that um, that we can put a a goal down, um, as suggested by that book, the Harvard MBA program, um, to maybe write it down. Um, you know, it it, it needn't be um, it, it needn't be at the at the level of writing a book, but it can be two lines on a page of. Um, um, uh, maybe to be very definite, I will be such and such um, by such and such a date. And then, as you said, um, there's a great or a sense of satisfaction when in you achieving yeah, um, yeah. the steps. And, 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 you know, along, you know, if it's, a ma- if it's a major goal or something you're really working at, you, you can get down and think, oh, I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to do it. But that's where you've got to stay determined and stay committed to whatever it is you're hoping to achieve. Absolutely, because um, uh, I I know it's an old cliche, like, but in a way, it's uh, no pain, no gain. Yeah. I mean, if there isn't an effort involved, well, then there probably isn't great satisfaction involved either. I mean, you know, uh, I remember now, and and you remember, um, um, I I definitely remember giving up cigarettes, nineteen eighty five, and um, that was great. Um, you know, that was tough. It was tough. Yeah. It was very tough. Yeah. I mean, giving up cigarettes, anyone who'd say it's easy um, yeah. uh, are lying to you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough, but what a great achievement then when, when, you, when you succeed. Yeah. And that actually, the cigarette one is an interesting one because uh, you also suggest seeking support if necessary. So no matter what your goal is, and particularly something like that, you know, kicking something like cigarette smoking, 
seek support from a partner, friend, family member, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And I think it's a good idea to tell those that we uh, that are close to us and that we trust um, what we are um, uh, hoping to achieve. Um, in a way, I suppose that's another incentive uh, not to be going back two days later and, and, and saying I relapsed. So, um, yeah, to seek support. And as we know, if we were talking about that particular goal, there's loads of support out there. Mm. Um, I would have seen pamphlets and uh, little booklets about um, quitting. Um, you the, know, yeah, the HSC have have a quit line, and and there's and of course there's all this since since you gave up the cigarettes. There's so much more nicotine replacement patches. You know, rather than just yeah. having to go cold turkey. You know, listen, cold yeah. turkey works for some people, and they're really able to do it, but it doesn't work for everybody. So it's Go reach out in order for you to succeed. If yeah. you need a bit of help, take it. Absolutely. I remember at the time I, there was a chewing gum going yeah. that uh, I found helpful and I used it um, quite a lot. In fact, uh, I got a bit of stick about it because I was told, <laughs> well, you were at Mass the other day and you were chewing your oh. chewing gum, but you never smoked inside in Mass, so what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I know. You get, get, get addicted to the gum. And then the final one is just... Always keep your goal in mind. No, keep the no, goal in yeah, mind. Yeah. See the finishing line. Um, uh, Visualise the the achievement um, uh, which is out there ahead um, in achieving our goal. Uh, that, that's very important to, as I say, a sort of roadmap that we know we know the journey and we can um, we can envisage the the finishing line and uh, and one day at a time we know we are going to get there. Yeah. Okay, listen, and there's nice fine weather as well at the moment, so it gives you a great opportunity to get out, even if it's only down the road for you, but it's uh, the, the weather is great as well, which is which is helping. Absolutely. Just, just wrap and up much one. better, apparently, than Mallorca, you were saying. Yeah, there, it was there. S- and snowing in Ibiza mm. yesterday as well. Yeah, they got the beast from the east. We didn't get it, thank God. We, got, we were having cold weather, but not that beast from the east that, that no, people had speculated no, about. No, and frightened people. That. We can indeed. Okay, listen, you look after yourself. Have a great week, and we'll chat again next th- next Tuesday. Hopefully, indeed. Thanks a million, Joe. Bye bye. Uh, Joe runs a counselling practice in Boerbui. His number is 0868 348145. That's 0868 348145. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. As I mentioned, Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on to the 9 Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.